Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, he started acting when he was just 16, and since then he's gone on to play roles that are so iconic like Goose in Top Gun, Dr. Green in ER, and now he's back on Broadway where he belongs, starring in A Prayer for the French Republic. Welcome Anthony Edwards to the podcast. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is Anthony Edwards. Anthony is probably best known for his role as Dr. Mark Green on the long-running series ER, but currently he is starring on the Broadway in A Prayer for the French Republic. Other theater credits include Children of a Lesser God, A Month in the Country, Harvey, and many more. You may know him as Goose from the blockbuster feature film Top Gun. And earlier in his career, he was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He has starred in over 20 features, including, but not limited to, Revenge of the Nerds, Zodiac, The Client, Miracle Mile, Mr. North, The Shore Thing, Revenge of the Nerds. Again, I've said it twice. That's how much I love it. Heart Like a Wheel, and so many more. And recently in both Apple series, we crashed and Netflix miniseries Inventing Anna. Um, I'm going to let you Google him for all of the many other television credits, but he also directs and produces, and he is such an incredibly compelling artist. And I'm so honored to have you, Tony Edwards, on the podcast today. Hello. Hello, hello. Nice to see you. It's so nice to see you. Um you're one of these people who we feel has been living with us for so long. And I I can only imagine during the course of your day, how many different touchstones people have for sort of recognizing you. Um, is there is there a role that you feel like, oh, I know before they even say anything, which they're going to talk about? What you kind of find is like, it depends where you are. Because, okay. like, you know, when I was for a long time, I lived on the Upper East Side, and that was just full ER people. Um, a lot of angry uh, older women who were like, why'd you leave the show? And, you know, it's just like they felt real ownership. Yeah, exactly. But I'm also a big, I'm, I have a huge, I'm a huge Formula One fan, which may be the thing that people don't know about me. But, um, um and, but when I go to that world, you know, it's all Top Gun and when you're around cars and that whole world. And then in this kind of tech world, of course, Revenge of the Nerds, there's all this other. So it's kind of site specific depending on the, the world you're in. That's so funny. I thought you were going to say in the tech world, we crashed this like more recent thing would be the thing. But no, no, just the no. computer, the basic computer of, right. of uh, Revenge of the Nerds. So I am. Um, 
I feel like, you know, we were talking earlier when I knew you uh, in, in an earlier uh, version of my life, you were on ER. And I, and I feel like that was really one of the first kind of shows like really long running with contemporaries of mine. It wasn't Dr. Kildare. It was like mm -hmm. Tony Edwards on the show. Um, I knew you weren't really a doctor because I would see you off off a sound stage as well. Um, would you be on an airplane and if something happened, would people start thinking that you could actually help them? And did you do enough episodes that you could perform some minor medical emergencies if necessary? You know, you'd think it would be like, there's no way that could happen because that's like the oldest joke in the book of I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And But I was actually on a flight where a flight attendant said to me, oh, God, we wish you were here yesterday because we had a heart attack on the plane. And I was like, really? Wait, you guys want a fake doctor on the plane? When, when well, it would have made the heart attack it. more fun. It would have yeah, exactly. like a little more a, a yeah. better story. Right. All right. So I want to talk about... Um, this extraordinarily beautiful play, uh, Prayer for the French Republic, that you are doing right now. Coincidentally, Ari Brand, who's in the play with you, played my son in another beautiful play with Jewish oh. themes called My Name is Asher Lev. Um, so it was really lovely to see him in this heartbreaking role and you sort of as this really reliable source that kind of takes us through the play, both as narrator and inhabitant of the mm -hmm. story at the same time. So I know um, that you recently had like a historic iconic Broadway moment saving Girl from the North Country for <laughs> one performance. So you have been on Broadway since Children of a Lesser God, but talk about what it's like being off book, um, not during COVID, properly rehearsed <laughs> uh, and joining this really, this play that is really, moving people really deeply at this very timely moment for this play and how did you get involved mayor and i uh saw the play at city center two years ago mayor and winningham. just mayor winningham my wife yeah my bride. wife my bride and um uh, she, and we saw this play and we were so moved by it and of course we're david cromer fans and mayor had seen bad jews i'd seen admission so we already were fans of josh Harmon as a playwright because when you hear dialogue like that and you hear and you see actors, you just get pulled in. And there we were during COVID into this three hour thing that we'd never seen before that was so moving. And I had, of course, at that time, no idea that I would ever have the opportunity to be in it. So I really saw it just as a pure audience fan. Um, so I'd workshopped with David. We'd done a, a workshop last year and um, Mayor had worked with David and tribes and so we're all friends and know each other and I thought his um, proof of the existence of God last year was like one of the best plays I've ever seen um, and of course band's visit I mean he's an amazing director and uh, so he I mean it was it was one of those calls where the agents were saying oh uh, you've got an offer to do prayer for the French Republic you know give it a read and everything. I mean, I didn't have to read it. I knew I was going to do it the second it came up. I, um, and then to read it and have it early enough, it was a great experience because I had it in the summer. So we didn't start rehearsals till November. So I had months to be with the words and be with, I had to learn to play piano and a little bit and um, get over my fear of singing. But um, uh, what was exciting was that we had a group of actors 
half of them had done it. So a lot of the women in the show had done it at city center. And there was about five, I think of us men, four or five of us that are new to it. So rehearsals were really interesting because there were actors there that already had a feel and knew for it, but wanted to explore differently. And there was also a feel with the creators, Dave, um, um, David and Josh, but then also the lighting designer and the production designer and the sound designer who all felt like it felt like with them, they were so eager, like they had unfinished business, like they did it at city center as best they could under those conditions, but they really wanted to bring it up. So when we came in for our, you know, uh, once we got into the theater and you have that crazy intense tech week and then into previews, we were changing and rehearsing in previews, all the kind of little minutia stuff of the transitions that really make for what appears to be just an effortless three hours, but it's so full of incredible expertise. Um, and that's fun to be a part of. And the actors, it's a real love fest. I mean, we have Backstage. 11 actors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and because it's 11 actors that are all very different, different life experiences, different ages, different. And, and yet it does, it reminds me of ER in that the subject matter or the work was, is so much bigger than us that it's humbling and it makes for a really good, like, oh my God, if we could do this right together, we can do something special. And now you know, to go to work where 700 people show up expecting a good play and they get one is really fun because they start laughing and then they laugh and cry their way for the next three hours. And I mean, I, I, I just feel incredibly fortunate. I, this play broke my heart, not because for any other reason other than the way a great Tennessee Williams play or Arthur Miller play breaks your heart because they're just revealing truths in a really beautiful way. And that's when you go like, oh, right. You don't get writers like this a lot because it's a very special combination that can actually look at something so specifically horrific and explore it from every different argument. I mean, my character is a devout atheist, you know? I mean, he is just like, he really is of the like, you know, if, you know, it's, it's religions messed us up. I mean, look what happened, you know, and here he is a guy who, you know, father saw the most horrific elements of, of being in a concentration camp in Auschwitz and the father who was the only surviving child. How did he raise his kids? He raised us, raised me, just not unlike my father, who was a World War II veteran, to like, don't trust in religion, don't trust in the Boy Scouts, don't trust in any group. Anytime a group of people get together for people who've experienced trauma, it is they have you have the ability to get lost and hurt. And the idea that in this play, so you have it, it, what Tony is describing is a play in which, and you also go back in time, you see this sort of Holocaust surviving side of the family that survived returning home to Paris post trauma. Um, you have Tony and his sister, played by the glorious Betsy Adam, who are raised by the son of a Holocaust survivor, although that son yeah. was was also in danger for a few years in his early childhood. Um, and then you have, as you described, your sister in the play raised exactly as you were, as French, not as Jewish. And, right. and suddenly her son has found religion. 
and what right. it is sort of for this new generation to be completely invested and interested in traditional Judaism, including wearing a yarmulke, and the inciting incident of the play, for those who have seen it, who haven't seen it, it's just information. If you're going to see it, I don't think it spoils anything, but it attracts it attracts a kind of violence, and that that moment of the play is what begins the whole odyssey that this family goes on and that we go on as an audience member. Um, right. I just want to go back with you for a second, because obviously I read, you know, uh, one tenth of the millions and millions of hours of film and television that you've done. And I just, you know, it, it, not everyone leaves kind of the world of takes if you mess up a performance to come back to the theater. Um, it's scary. It's fulfilling and scary to do a play in a way that other mediums are just a different kind of scary. So if we could just go back for a minute in terms of like your early career and what your dream was as an actor when you started, mm. I remember like you grew up with Eric Stoltz. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember you once said that you barely watch TV, which is hilarious because you probably made more hours than any living person <laughs> I know. Um, but the idea of theater, what, how did that come to you as a young It's kid? really, it, it was a really natural, beautiful, I'm the youngest of five kids. Like I said, my father was a uh, World War II. He wasn't necessarily the most present father. He was a lovely, funny man, but he was not there. So I think I was looking for family, looking for figures in that way. And I was super lucky to be in Santa Barbara in the 70s when when there was so much support for theater in the school that I was a seventh grader, went in and, you know, was immediately, I, I discovered this theater that was like an 800 seat beautiful theater. And they put on a straight play in the fall and a, and a musical in the spring and then two other shows during the year and this group. And I was this scrawny little 12 year old who was looking to find a place to fit in and the theater was it. And I fell in love with the experience of the theater in an environment where you could go after school, you could go at lunch, you could be part of a play. And then it translated into summers and we had summer theater. So I, that was my kind of church that I found. That was my safe place. And, you know, in, um, and that just translated to, by the time I got out of high school, I was, I had done 25 plays and I'd also started working as an actor at 16, when I got my driver's license, I started driving aerosols and we started driving down to LA to, to audition for theater, which is where I met your dear old friend, Helen Hunt and ended up on a TV series in my second year of college. But it all came with from Helen. theater. Yeah, yeah, with <laughs> Helen, playing brother and sister. Yeah, so, and but it all comes back to, and I had this experience of doing, because Children of Lesser God was the first time I performed on Broadway. And the first time we went in that theater, I was like, oh, this is, feels just like being at home. Like for me, a big theater was where you played. You know, I know it's space and everything and the people are this in black boxes and small theaters and everything. But, you know, in California, we had these incredible public spaces of big theaters and we did tours. We were touring Peter Pan and, you know, Oliver in the summer and, and you know, groups of 14, 15 year old kids running around California. So it was pretty, it was like, I, I equate it sometimes to being like, I don't know, being into basketball and growing up in Indiana. Like it just was part of, a, it was a natural place. It was set up for it, yeah.
you know, when you look back at ER, like at the time that that show was cast as a pilot or was it a straight to series? I know it was a pilot, right. We had Who to get, was yeah. the most famous person cast in that pilot at the time? I probably was at the time because of Top Gun. So I was a, for movies, but George certainly, you know, George had done a bunch of TV series, but he'd never had any big hit series, but he knew the business of television better than anybody I'd ever met. Because so, of how so, he grew up or just his passion for it? He just was, he had for the last, for the five years or so before, six years before, he'd done a lot of pilots, a lot of series. And he's such a beautiful man. And I think, you know, they were, they're always trying to find the right series for him. So he had a lot of experience around that. Um, but I came at it, you know, as an actor who at I was 29 years old and I was like done with 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 working as actor. I thought I thought I'd done all these movies. I'd done Top Gun and Gosh and all these movies. I'd done a series before I wanted to change. My, I wanted to direct. And I thought that's it. I don't really want to do this as an actor anymore. And then this script came up and I was like, oh, boy. And it was Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg and you know it just read so real and my agent did you know my, my manager was just like you got to do this and so I mean that's it wasn't it was a funny thing and I, and I actually re related this to someone recently because I remember having the conversation with Michael Crichton after the show we did it, became a hit, and we were had a Christmas party together. And I related that story, and he goes, that's how life works. When you let go, when you're done, things come to you. And all the kind of, if you're too, I need, I have to, I want, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Things happen when you, you're looking somewhere else, and that's when you meet the people, your best friends, or a something arrives, because you're letting the universe reveal it to you as opposed to, you know, the problem of thinking, oh, I can make this happen or I can control this, you know, because no one has ever made a movie, a TV show or a play that didn't start out thinking this is going to be great. Like, you know, and some are, but right. they're not always. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to just be willing to know that it's out of your control. So in this play, as you described earlier, the audience's reaction, the the laughter, for sure, there's nothing lovelier yeah. than getting the laughs <laughs> where you want them. Um, you do sing and you do play piano. And so whatever that fear was, I, I <laughs> got to see you do it. Um, but there is also like, you know, people to the right and left of me, like, sharing tissues with each other who came in yeah. strangers to the play and it's a big beautiful broadway theater but it's also like super intimate at the same mm -hmm. time how do you absorb that how do you experience that that's must feel like a new it's, feeling it's fantastic because it really is that thing and i do the same thing when i go into a theater i kind of think oh i'm here private no one's going to know i'm you know the, the actual you're every, we're on stage the second we come off we're like did you feel that? You know, you know what the audience is and where they're at. And with this play, what's great is you can feel two and a half hours into the play, a silence that comes over at certain points. And you go like, we're doing this right because they're listening when they need to listen and they're wanting to be there. And like I said, it's a really different thing. But I just, I do believe anybody who has any <laughs> Jewish experience of friends or themselves or their grandparents, whatever it is, 
there are just things that are hitting people in a really deep way. And, and, and that enthusiasm of talking to, you know, a 78, 80-year-old woman after who goes like, that was my story. Or, you know, young people going, oh, my God, I didn't think about that. And this kind of relationship because it's such an old story this experience and so um it's i mean it's your your question really is about the 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 space and the it's great and it's you know and also it's the classic frustration of broadway where you're like really that many cell phones went off <laughs> during the show you know it's crazy it's I just know. like I it's, know. you know and, and it's but, a double whammy for you guys because you have two intermissions so there's two yeah. possibilities of people for everybody to, to turn, turn their off. phone <laughs> yeah, you, exactly I know, I know and you're all and also like it does attract um beautifully all ages but there is a generation of people who are coming to see it because they're really seeing themselves reflected yeah yeah and, yeah. and it's a it's a shrinking generation yeah. in terms of yeah. who's left and they are yeah. um yeah. they are wearing headsets to hear and they are their children and grandchildren are not next to them to remind them how to turn their phones off so right right so i guess you yeah and it's with it. and it's a but it's a powerful time because this is, we are living in a time right now where as I walk to work, I'll go through Union Square and there could be a pro-Palestinian demonstration going on that unintentionally is saying basically death to Jews without, you know, under the guise of like, oh no, we're just against, but like there's such a disconnect that's happening in the world right now in relation to hatred that is really wild and and you know you you want people to to keep learning and keep experiencing to know that it's not as simple as people want to make it out to be the situation that's happening in the world right now and and you know you only get that way by telling truths well also, what's so incredible about getting to be in the kind of work that you are doing is you're always learning, right? Like there are some jobs that there might be little like, wait, the, the knob came out bigger than it's supposed to. And now we have to remake <laughs> all the knobs for the dresser. Also, we need knobs on our dressers. This is not knocking the fact right. that, you know, everything out there is necessary. But but what a like incredible thing to just expand as a human each time you take on a role and you must be learning so much and absorbing yeah. so much in the process. It's like my friend Brian Dorries who started Theater of War. I mean, there's a reason why the Greeks built the theaters next to the hospital because to have a group experience of people together hearing stories is as important a part of healing as anything else and that's the only way we heal is to connect with others through story and relationship to understand things in a deeper and different way and that's what being human is like we there's a re, you know theater didn't die away because you know for for no reason it's because it's it's we need it we need to share and understand things as a group with others yeah, and it is still not lost on me post-COVID. Every time I go into a theater, 
it was unclear what theater would look like, right? Would right. it still come back as like a, a necessary communal art form? And it has. Um, before I let you go to your theater, is there a little <laughs> known fact about you that you can share? Um, let's see, I, you know, I was on a ballet scholarship when I was 16. I don't know if anybody knew that, but it was a funny thing actually. And I share it with Eric Stoltz because we loved theater. We did musicals, I suppose, but we, we totally got into ballet this one year. And we were like two 16 year old kids in like, I don't know, math class or whatever. No, it was some humanities class. And some girl, a woman was a young, one of our classmates was doing a demonstration on ballet. And Eric and I would sneak off to this ballet class like th three days a week on the scholarship. And at the exact moment while we were <laughs> while we were sitting in the class during this ballet demonstration, we both like kind of looked over each other and went, ballet sucks. It's always like to try and act like, oh yeah, we would definitely. We are not interested in Yeah, it. we are not, not interested in thing. Us, yeah, like actually, just... but we are leaving here to do this. It's very, very <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. Wow. Well, I really look forward to something that you do in the future that can combine your your love of acting and your love with ballet. I feel like we have yet to see. Yeah, I mean, I certainly can't, but I'm not a ballet dancer now, but I do, I mean, movement and rhythm and dance and all of it is just so connected as you know as an actor that you just you know that's everybody has a rhythm yeah and that's what's fun to find well apparently uh, you have a, a voice and and some piano <laughs> piano i hope you keep going with it ari brand is an incredible teacher he's unbelievable he's really? the most amazing pianist i've heard he is incredible i mean he did we do a warm-up and and he well, lot, hope you, we try to get him to play every time because he'll just start doing jazz. Oh, his, he's an incredible pianist. Yeah, well, he's his so legacy, I mean, you know his father. Yeah, his yeah, age. no, I know, I know. I, want, I hope he can continue to develop that show of his on that. I know, it's did so you see beautiful. it? I did, it's so beautiful. And Ari looks so much like his dad. We're talking about yeah. a piece that Ari wrote, sort of honoring his father who died way too young, but was, I believe, from yeah. Israel. Um, yeah, he was born in Israel. Yeah. Extraordinary pianist of his day. Um, yeah. Anyway, Anthony Edwards, uh, thank you for being on the podcast today. How fun to catch up with you. And My pleasure. Really show. fun. Yeah. Right. Congratulations to you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. I will see you soon. Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Goodbye. Clouds can make the wind blow. I have some news. Little Known Facts is now available to watch on YouTube. Hours and hours and hours of interviews that you can see my fabulous guests. And guess what it's called? Little Known Facts with Alana Levine. Catchy, right? Anyway, head on over to YouTube and watch the podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you want to donate to the podcast, zero pressure, but if you want to, no donation is too big or too small. I am so grateful for you for listening, but if you want to donate, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com 
forward slash donations. Lastly, Little Known Facts is recorded in Brooklyn, New York, USA. My editor is Nicholas Clark. None of this happens without Nicholas. And the Little Known Facts theme song was composed and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you.